Okay, we are doing a series on relationships. This is part three. And what I want to talk about today is something that keeps a person from experiencing deeper relationships. Whether it's friendships, whether it's going deeper with your romantic lover, or whether it's just being in community. But there is something that keeps... uh, essentially it's like a wall that many people run into that inhibits a person from going deeper into their relationships. And that's what I want to talk about today. So open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Last week, Mark Mayfield, uh, he was talking about how we are wired for connection. We're wired for relationship. And he started in Genesis 2. And so today I want to start in Genesis chapter 3. But let's pray. Father, thank you for being here. You are with us. You are among us. God, open our ears so that we can hear you today. Open our eyes so we can see. Give us hearts that understand and discern what you're saying and and what you're doing uh, here today. But we love you and we honor you and we welcome your presence in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. amen. Okay, let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Now, of course, you know the story. Uh, I'm sure most of you know the story. God creates Adam. He breathes the breath of life into him. He creates Eve. And out of the generosity in the heart of God, he says, you can have it all. You can have it all except this one tree. Don't eat the fruit on this tree, but everything else is yours. Go, enjoy But Adam and Eve wanted to live on their own terms rather than God's terms. And so they disobeyed God. They ate of the tree they weren't supposed to. Their eyes were opened. And let's pick it up there in verse 6. Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is what I want to talk about today, because this has been happening ever since. Today, people still feel naked. Not talking about clothes. Thankfully, everybody's wearing clothes. That's a good thing. Well done. I'm talking about naked in terms of emotional exposure. I'm talking about the kind of naked where one person feels like they're truly seen by another person. Their heart and their soul is seen. And so what happens, even today, if somebody feels naked, if they feel exposed, oftentimes they're also going to feel afraid. And the response to being exposed and feeling afraid is what? Hiding. And so in our culture and in our communities and in our churches and in our schools and in our workplaces, we have people all over the place 
who are afraid of being exposed, afraid of truly being seen for who they are, and so they hide. Now, what do I mean by hiding? What I mean is they project an image. This is what I want people to see. This is the image I want people to see and who I really am at a heart level, who I really was created to be. I don't want you to see that. Or, if, or there's this message that many people believe. It's like, if you really knew what I was dealing with, if you really saw the real me, you would push me away. You would reject me. There's no way you'd throw your arms open and accept me. And because it's too risky to be rejected, I'm just going to hide and I'm just going to project this image that I think you'll like. And so this is happening. I do this at times. I'm sure you do this at times. But it's something that keeps us from experiencing deeper relationships, deeper friendships, deeper intimacy, because we're hiding and we're projecting. And what happens is it actually robs us from the thing we were created to experience, which is this intimacy, the joy and the richness of true friendship and true intimacy. It's missing Because there's this wall up that protects us from other people. Now, there's there's a word that describes this, and the word is shame. Shame. And the message of shame is this. Shame's message is, there's something wrong with you. You're not enough. And so if somebody really sees you, they'll push you away, so don't let them see you. That's the message of shame. Now here's the problem with this. It's hard to get out of this cycle. And it does become a cycle. We hide and we project in order to get a little bit of acceptance from people. And then we taste that acceptance, and it tastes pretty good. It feels pretty good. And then we learn to do it more and more and more, which is why the scripture says that the fear of man is a snare, meaning it's a trap. So we can literally find ourselves in a trap when we're so focused on trying to gain acceptance from other people, People people-pleasing, projecting. So I just want you to think about this. What does it look like in your life? What are some situations? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to share this. I just want you to be thinking about this as I'm sharing. What are some situations in your life where you feel exposed and you feel vulnerable? And so there's a tendency to hide and to project an image. The image might be you've got it all together. You're the smart one or you're the good athlete. I mean, there could be so many different things we hide behind. But what are we trying to protect? What are we afraid that people will see? Now, this has been a part of my story, and I've I've wrestled with this, and I'm in a much different place today than I was 15 years ago. Uh, But I'm still on this process and still on this journey of discovering more and more of who God created me to be and and then being being true to who I am in the in community with other people. But when I was uh, when I was about seventeen years old, 
I was a, a good athlete, and I had a lot of success uh, with, with sports, but I was deep down in fairly insecure. Now, people wouldn't know it, but I knew it. And I was so afraid of rejection. I was so afraid that somebody wouldn't like me or somebody wouldn't approve of me. And so I learned to do this really well. I learned to do the hide and project dance. And, and so I was popular and, and it worked, which is the problem with it. And I remember this one uh, particular example when I was in high school. My buddy and I decided on a Saturday that we were going to drive to a nearby town and watch a high school girls volleyball tournament. We were big volleyball fans. It wasn't the girls. It was volleyball. We just, just love watching the competitive aspect of volleyball. And so we drove a long way to this town and we were watching volleyball all day because we couldn't get enough of the bump set spike. And so afterwards, we said, hey, let's go, grab a, let's go grab a bite to eat. So we went to Wendy's, and we ate this cheeseburger. And as we were walking out the door, we look up, and there's this bus that pulls into the parking lot full of those volleyball players. And my friend looked at me with eyes like, he was like a 10-year-old on Christmas morning. <laughs> now remember, I'm a little insecure, so I'm like, no, let's just play it cool. And he goes, no, let's go talk to them. I'm like, no, let's just, let's just not. Let's play it cool. And he goes, I'm going. So he leaves, and he's walking across the parking lot, approaching this bus. And I don't want to be the loser just standing by myself. So I join him. I'm following him. We were walking up to this bus. And this was intimidating. And one by one, these windows start to slide down. Remember the old bus windows? You got to pinch and slide, pinch and slide. And so that was happening on the side of the bus. And these girls started poking their head out the bus windows. And there was just a whole row of girls. And it was me and my buddy looking up. And my heart was pounding. And I was trying to play it cool. And I was trying to project this image. And then one of the girls said, hey, I know you. Now, they weren't from our school. They weren't from our town. But one of the girls said, I know you. You're the wrestler. You're Gabe Jenkins. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, it was like, (laughs) I felt like I was eight feet tall, not five foot seven. (laughs) Most of those girls were taller than me, but I didn't care. I felt like I was the king of the world in that moment. And it tasted so good to get that affirmation and that acceptance. And it tasted so good that guess what? Here's the trap. I thought, well, how, that, that's pretty cool. I should try to get that more often. And so the next several years, I was caught in this cycle of trying to please people, especially women. Because deep in my soul, there was this insecurity. And when I was noticed or when I was impressive, so to speak, to somebody, that was like medicine for my soul, but bad medicine. The type of medicine that wears off quickly, and then you need more of it, and you need more of it, and you need more of it. So I got even better at hiding who I was and projecting this image to try to gain acceptance and approval from other people. And I was stuck in this cycle. And then God steps in, 
And he essentially said, Gabe, there is a better way to live life. There is a better way than trying to project this image to gain acceptance from other people. And the better way is this. It's to discover who I made you to be and to live it out. And so God took me on this slow process of identity. He started revealing identity to me. He started speaking identity. He started showing me, Gabe, this is who I made you to be. And you know what? It's okay if they accept you, and it's okay if they don't accept you. It doesn't really matter because this is who I've made you to be. This is who I've formed you to be. And he started taking me into the scriptures, and I started meditating on these verses about identity. And something started to shift in my heart. The insecurity started to uh, be diminished. And a true sense of security started to form in my heart and my soul. And it was a direct result of allowing God to speak to me about identity and who he made me to be. And it's the same thing for you. God has so much that he wants to say to you regarding your identity. Not the projected image you want people to, to see, but who you are at a heart level. Who you are deep down inside. He wants to reveal that to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to open your eyes and show you who he really, truly created you to be. And the more you understand identity, here's the beautiful thing that will happen. You'll, you'll stop hiding as much. You'll stop projecting the image, caring so much about what people think of you. And you'll start to walk in a true peace and a joy and an authority because you know who you are in Christ. Now, here's the foundation of identity because some of you might be thinking, okay, that sounds good. I recognize that I do that at times, but where do I even start? And this is where you start. You start with the truth that you are you are the beloved son and daughter. That's the foundation of identity. Because if you begin to build your identity on something besides that, you're building on faulty ground. You are so loved by the Father. You are a son. You are a daughter. He knit you together with his hands. He breathed life into you. He died on the cross to redeem you. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit. He smiles at you. You are his son. You are his daughter. And the more you let this truth sink deep into your soul, it is going to unlock some things in you. It is going to set you free. The scripture says the truth will set you free. What, a, what better place to start than how much God loves you, how much he's forgiven you. Now let's look at this together in Luke chapter 3. This is after Jesus was baptized. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. This is such an intriguing scene for me. I love this story in the scriptures because it says so much about God. Verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. 
You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Just picture the smile of the Heavenly Father towards his son Jesus in that moment. Abba, Father. You know, Jesus called the Father Abba. Abba, that's a term that means Papa, Daddy. That gives us some insight into their relationship. Jesus saying, Papa, Daddy. And the Father saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Just this huge smile. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, yeah, that's Jesus. But what about me? What about all the things I've done? What about my sin? What about my brokenness? What about my filth? What about my shame? And he looks at you. And he says, you are my son. You are my daughter who I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Now, do you feel the tension in you to believe that? Is there something in you that kind of rises up to dismiss that, to deflect that, to essentially say, yeah, but... That's, that's natural. That's human nature. See, this, this is such good news. It's, it's natural that something in us kind of pulls back from this, tries to kind of keep it away, deflect it. But God, like the hound of heaven, just keeps coming. In his love, he keeps coming in his kindness. He will not be detoured. He is just like his eyes are set on you, and he keeps coming with his arms open. Picture this, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. This is a man that royally blew it. He really jacked up his life. And then he decides to go home, and he's scared, and he's nervous, and he's probably practicing his repentance speech all the way home. He's bracing, he's bracing for the moment when he's going to see his father. But what do we see with the father? The father is looking off in the distance, waiting for him to come. And then he spots him, and he runs to him with his arms wide open. And he gives him the greatest bear hug of his life. And he hugs him and he kisses him. And he drenches him with his tears, the tears of joy. The father's heart is exploding because he gets the son back. See, so our excuses, our reasons, our thoughts and feelings about why God may not love us, they don't hold water when we really look at the scriptures. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because of the high cost that he paid for us, we truly are forgiven. We truly are redeemed. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But what we have to do is come to the point to say, I'll open my heart to it. I'll believe. And the more we open our heart to the truth that you truly are loved, that the Father's heart is good towards you, you'll begin to gain a proper understanding of identity and who you are. You are the beloved son and you are the beloved daughter. And he'll just keep telling you that until you believe it. But this is key. If we want to stop the cycle of of kind of hiding and projecting, we have to start with identity and who we are, how God views us how he sees us. What if, what if you were to take the next year, 
from now until Thanksgiving of 2018. And what if this next year you were to get really serious about understanding your identity? How different would you be 12 months from right now? I guarantee some things would be different. If you got serious about it and really opened your heart to the truth that God wants to impart into you about identity, you may not even recognize yourself 12 months from now because of all that he wants to say to you, all that he wants to show you. As he wants to open your eyes to the reality that you are truly made in his image. Imago Dei. You're a man and a woman created in the image of God. You bear his image. Let that truth settle on your heart for a while. You bear the image of a glorious God. That's good news. He has a lot to show you over the next year regarding identity, and it'll be good news. It'll be refreshing for your heart. He's not going to accuse you. He's not going to condemn you. I have the privilege of sitting with a lot of people and really hearing their honesty. And here's what I hear a lot in counseling and as I meet with people, is a lot of people are afraid of what God might show them. Because whatever God reveals, then that sets the standard so high. It's like, I can't live up to it, so I'd rather not know. Or other people kind of, they, they kind of cringe at the thought of having God say something about who you are because what if, it's, what if you don't like it? But what God loves doing is he loves revealing truth about who you already are, who he created you to be. So what happens is this is not like, oh, oh. No, this is like, whoa, God, really? That's who I am? That's who you created me to be? This is good news. This is refreshing news when you truly hear from God. Now beware, because the enemy is the accuser, and he does want to say things to you, and he wants to lie to you about who you are. So part of this process is just growing in your discernment to recognize the voice of truth and the voice of lies. They're both speaking at you. But we have to tune our hearts and begin to open our hearts to the voice of truth and what the Father is saying about his sons and his daughters. Okay, so that's the first That's the first part of it, is growing in your understanding of identity. But after that, in terms of developing deeper friendships, we have to be vulnerable. Because we can can understand our identity, and we can be secure, but if we're not vulnerable with other people, then we're still limiting what relationships and friendships can be. How many of you love the feeling of vulnerability? That's what I thought. Oh, one person. It's not very pleasant, isn't it? Is it? It's, it's painful. It's uncomfortable. When you have to put yourself out there and actually be vulnerable in relationships, isn't it easier just to kind of keep it at a surface level and hide? Yeah, so that's why it happens so often. But who are the people, think about this, who are the people that you know in your life who are naturally vulnerable? That are willing, they have the courage to show you who they are. Who are willing to expose themselves emotionally 
to show you their heart and their soul. And how do you view them? Do you view them as weak or do you view them as strong? Isn't this interesting? Because oftentimes when it comes to vulnerability, we feel like, well, if I'm vulnerable, people will view, view me as weak. But when we see true vulnerability from other people, when it's displayed in a, in, a, in a wise and humble way, we view it as strength. So vulnerability oftentimes is strength when we see it in other people, but it's weakness when it's in us. Now, uh, Brene Brown, how many of you have heard of Brene Brown? She is uh, a really fascinating author and communicator, and she wrote this book called Daring Greatly. And uh, this book, in part, is, uh, it's the, uh, she spent over a decade researching shame and vulnerability. And she talked to thousands of people about vulnerability and the courage it takes to be vulnerable. And she started asking people, hey, what does it feel like when you're vulnerable? And I thought their responses were really interesting. These were some of the responses when, when Dr. Brown asked people, what is it? describe the feeling of vulnerability. Here are some of the responses. It's taking off the mask and hoping the real me isn't too disappointing. It's not sucking it in anymore. Somebody else said, you're halfway across a tightrope, and moving forward and going back are both just as scary. It feels so awkward and scary, but it makes me human and alive. I think that's true. It is awkward. It's scary. But when we're vulnerable in relationships, we feel alive. And the most common response to what does vulnerability feel like, you know what the number one response was? Over and over and over again, this is what people said. It feels like being naked. You know the naked dream? This is what people said in the response. It feels like that dream when everybody stares at you and you're naked. But that's true because vulnerability does require exposure and that feels naked. The defenses come down and we feel vulnerable. What would you say regarding what it feels like? Just just think about it right now. Think about times in in relationships when you felt really vulnerable. What did that feel like? How scary did that feel? And then think about this. What did you do to protect yourself? In those moments when you felt vulnerable, what did you do to protect yourself in those moments from the perceived threat? Now, one of the reasons this is important is because that will give you some insight into maybe some patterns that you have in your life regarding relationships. So if you're frustrated with the level, the the depth of relationships, maybe it's a vulnerability issue. Maybe it's because you're holding back and you're hiding and projecting and you're not allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And so deep down in you feel kind of a, a dissatisfaction regarding your relationships. 
But think about this. How vulnerable are you being in those relationships? How much of your heart and soul are you letting people really see? And be honest about how do you project an image? What does that look like? And when you begin to address these issues, I'm telling you, the quality of relationships, you'll see a huge, huge difference in the quality and the richness of your relationships the more vulnerable you are. Now, here's the last thing I want to share. Vulnerability requires courage, yes, but it also requires wisdom. Vulnerability requires wisdom and courage because if somebody's not wise, they could be vulnerable in the wrong uh, environment to the wrong people. In John 2.24, Jesus, it says this about Jesus. It says that Jesus didn't uh, entrust his heart to people because he knew their hearts. Now, of course, there were people that Jesus entrusted his heart to. He had the 12, but then he had Peter, James, and John. These were the three that Jesus wanted with him in some of his darkest moments in the garden. But there were other people that Jesus would not entrust himself to because he knew their hearts. He was wise. And so we have to be wise when it comes to vulnerability. Think about, think about it this way. Okay, a husband and, and wife, in the context of marriage, when they take off their clothes and get naked, that's, that's good. And that's the beautiful thing for the husband and wife. But the drunk man at the football stadium, who's the streaker who takes off his clothes, that's not good. They're both taking off their clothes and they're both being seen. One is really good. One is, that is really not good. And that guy is taunted and he's made fun of because he exposed himself in the wrong setting. Now there is, there is, there is a right place and a right time to be vulnerable. So how do you know? Well, start with the people that you already trust. And what would it look like for you just to take another step regarding vulnerability? I'm not talking about saying, hey, did you hear the message today? Okay, Uh, do you have 20 minutes? I want to share my darkest secrets with you. That's like streaking. Or have you ever been in the small group where one person is just like, and everybody else is like, trying to figure out what just happened? (laughs) Because the one person just dominated the conversation and just dumped everything on other people. See, that, that pushes people away. I'm not talking about that kind of vulnerability. I'm talking about the type of vulnerability that happens in trusted friendships, in trusted relationships, where the relationships deepen and grow and develop. And so picture it this way. Just take one more step. What would it look like for you to take that one step of vulnerability with people you already trust? And then another step. And another step. And in a healthy relationship, it should go both ways, right? They should be vulnerable. You should be vulnerable. And there's mutual trust that begins to form. But, but just ask God, who are some of the people that he would want you to be vulnerable with? Who are the people that God would highlight to you to say, hey, start, start here. Start here. 
I want to just encourage you to close your eyes here as we begin to wrap this up. When I was praying for you this morning, what I really sensed the Holy Spirit was highlighting to me is he wants you to have deep and fulfilling relationships. He is for you. He wants to help you cultivate this in your life. He doesn't want you to feel lonely. And because he is so passionate about helping you cultivate deep and meaningful relationships, it's it's important to allow him to lead the way. So right now, just ask him, God, who are the people, if I were to take another step regarding vulnerability, who are the people that I can trust? Who are the people that I should even start with? Father, you are the one who created us. You made each of us in your image. We're uniquely made. And we each carry your glory in a unique way. So, Father, open our hearts and open our ears so we can hear what you're saying about our identity. I pray that every man and woman in this room over the next year, that there will be a significant deposit into each of their hearts regarding identity and truth and who they were created to be, who they were made to be. And Father, I pray for relationships to grow and deepen and develop. I pray for wisdom and discernment so each man and woman here would recognize when they need to be vulnerable and when they don't need to be. Help them to walk with you and to have that wisdom. And Father, lastly, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that there truly is nothing that can separate us from your love. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called sons and daughters. And that is what we are. And so we respond by saying thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. Okay, you have about 20 minutes at your table, and this is going to be pretty simple. What I want to encourage you to do is uh, talk about what, what are, what's one or two things that stood out to you that you want to process a little bit more, and then uh, answer this question. Go around the table. You don't, have to, you don't even have to say anything about... Uh, vulnerability, but talk about what, what has it felt like in your life when you've felt vulnerable? You know those examples like the tightrope and that? Just go around your table. What, what would you say it feels like to be vulnerable? And then if you have time at the end, I encourage you just spend some time in prayer together as a table. Ask one another, hey, how can I pray for you? All right? So you have about uh, 20 minutes at your tables.